0: Yeah. good morning. This is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Good morning. Is it, though?
1: Good
2: I guess we'll morning. find
0: out. Yes. Oh, I don't
2: know. I think our theme song will be gradually more appropriate over the coming months. <laughs>
0: ah, we had such good the news the yin and the yang last... of COVID, yes. <laughs>
2: yes.
0: It's a little bit uh, schizophrenic here. Good yeah. news and then terrible news. So how are we doing today?
2: It's not terrible. Oh, it's good. not good too excited. Um, <laughs> it's just slightly worse um, locally. It's The numbers are trending back up as as predicted. Um, nationally, they're trending back up um, a bit more steeply on the East Coast. Um, this is all sort of the slow surge that may have been anticipated from BA2. I don't think it's going to become anything like we were um, in December or January or even into February. But, you know, numbers are Worsening, um, not not in, not in the hospital, um, but in terms of case counts, certainly.
0: So we had bottomed out at something like four per hundred thousand new yeah. cases. Yeah. Um, so when you say it's slightly worse, what are we looking at?
2: Drum roll. The do county we... up. Uh, the county no longer carries an up. Oh, web- that's a, a right. Website. So how do we? Even um, but find looking out? at other data sources, uh, it looks like we're around fifteen per hundred thousand right now. So, you know, three and a half times where we were two weeks ago in terms of case counts per 100,000.
0: Is this life now?
2: Is it's, this it's going to be this rolling? It is going to be this oscillating. It's not quite a sine wave. It's some sort mm-hmm. of weird combination of sine and cosine and maybe a little tangent of a wave. Um, and so we're going to just continue to see this fluctuation in numbers going forward, probably for years, believe it or not. Fun. Okay. Yeah.
0: So how do we? Let's keep, how do we assimilate yeah, that? Yeah, how, how do? do we, yeah, what the hell do we do about that? Well,
2: apparently we just take our masks off, right? <laughs> I mean, you can now fly across country without your mask
0: as of like last night.
2: Yes, breaking news. Yeah.
0: People were tearing off their masks and cheering, yeah, screaming, and during mid mid flight.
2: Yeah. So that's, you know, it, it, and that's sort of that bespeaks the incoherence around messaging on on all of this. You know, we know masks work. We're in the middle of a, a mini surge. The numbers are going to continue to get worse probably for the next four to six weeks, maybe six to eight weeks, depending. And then they're going to get gradually better um, over the course of the probably several months during early summer. And then come fall again, it's going to get quite a bit worse again, and it'll continue to in- get worse um, going into next winter I suspect there will be new subvariants of the subvariant of omicron so it'll be a 2.2 if you will um, and that will be most likely more transmissible and you know who knows whether it'll be more deadly or not um, but that's kind of what we may expect so the question then becomes what do we do with this new reality right and that's what we're trying to all figure out um, the you know, the public health officials know what to do. Um, It's just that there's not a political will to say, you know, you should really probably keep wearing your mask indoors. And much like other sort of social behaviors that we learn, you can't recycle one day when they're actually needing paper and then not recycle for the next week and then go back. So you can't toggle back and forth very easily. It's very hard um, to say mask up this week when the numbers are bad. Now you can take your masks off this week because that's just not a coherent policy that people can assimilate um you know i've heard several public health officials um talk about you know it's kind of like an umbrella you keep your mask handy and you put it on when it's raining except it's really easy to tell when it's raining and it's not so easy to tell when there's a lot of covid so i think that analogy frankly falls completely flat yeah raindrops
0: are visible
2: they're well they're visible but they're certainly tangible right
0: and the, yeah they you yeah. get wet yeah, yeah. <laughs> And like immediately.
2: Yes. And it's hard to tell when you've been soaked with COVID.
0: It it is, yeah. until a few days later when yeah. you're miserable and for those people who get who get sick, it can be a very long and awful ordeal.
2: Or worse, yes.
0: And yes. No. Yeah. Well we did have two deaths in the county this since it's our last show.
2: Yeah, it's very hard to track the county numbers just because, you know, they're not published locally. So our, our death rate had been up to 125, as I recollect, and then it dropped by six um, by importing the state numbers for the county. Um, and now it's back up, I think, actually three in the last two weeks, okay. um, according to the state of California's data bank. Um, the hospitalization rate is quite low. We only have one or two people um, in any one day, um, on average, over the course of the last couple of weeks, hospitalized for COVID. Uh, now, there might be one or two people who are hospitalized who incidentally have COVID, but not necessarily hospitalized for COVID, uh, which is a distinction that's somewhat important um, but numbers-wise, we've added about 50 cases um, over the course of two weeks, and you know we're adding a lot more in the last few days. So I think two weeks from now, I think we can expect you know probably 150 cases um, in the over the course of two weeks.
0: So this is something that people should pay attention to in terms of their personal choices, because I know uh, I have heard anecdotally, of a couple of super spreader, we'll call it, like, you know, a handful of people got sick. That's our version of super spreader. But some parties that, that happened where folks came away, you know, infected. And so it's it's just good to keep in mind it's still with us and that people are still getting it.
2: Yeah, no, people are still getting it. It's definitely still with us. And that's, you know, those part, those sort of get-togethers, those events – are what's driving the surge, right? We're taking our masks off, we're getting indoors for dinner parties and whatnot. We're not necessarily testing with a rapid test beforehand. Um, and there are going to be asymptomatic people in that room who knowingly infect everybody else. So there's still a risk, certainly, you know, if you're in one of the at risk cohorts um, of getting COVID. And if you're unvaccinated, then, you know, that's, that increases your risk of a severe outcome substantially. All right. Um
0: what about the public health
2: Press announcement? Release.
0: Yeah, this that hap- that came out yesterday.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean it's it's not really public health from this county so much as state public health. Um and so to to sort of describe what has happened, um the state of California locked back its quarantine requirement. Um so Typically, we had been requiring quarantine originally for two weeks, which is pretty onerous. That to was be hard. Sure. Yeah, um, for anybody exposed to COVID, um, and that has now been entirely abandoned. Um, finally, it had been walked back um, to seven days, uh, seven or ten days, and then five to seven days, depending with testing, et cetera. And now they've simply said we're not going to enforce quarantine at all any longer, which means that if you're in contact with somebody with COVID, sustained contact, more than 15 minutes or any sort of contact at this point, you don't need to quarantine, which means if you live in a household with somebody who has COVID, at least under county health guidelines, you can go out and about and do whatever you want with a recommendation, but not the requirement that you wear a mask. So it's this is going to result in increased transmission. It just it just will. But I think that the burden of requiring continued quarantine, particularly with the low degree of compliance, I think we are seeing and particularly the high prevalence of home tests that aren't reported to the county or the state. um, You know, people testing positive at home and then not Quarantining, I think, was, or even isolating, um, was uh, a reality that we've all been living in anyway. So continued enforcement of this, um, even if it was just on paper, just really didn't make a lot of sense. But it's nonetheless going to result in increased cases, particularly right. particularly with walking back any masking requirements uh-huh, All seen.
0: at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and so these are guidelines, rules, but in terms of personal choices... It's still advise well a couple it's questions. choose your own
2: adventure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what about people who are who have tested positive? They still need to isolate. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, like don't, that
2: that should not don't be. Don't go hanging out with people. And, and frankly, people who are living and are in close proximity to people who test positive, you don't necessarily need to isolate, but I would certainly encourage those people to wear a really good mask and i 'm talking in n ninety five or k n ninety five type of mask if you have to go out and about to do shopping or whatever it 's very with hard people to... ever pardon
0: if you have to interact with
3: anyone well
2: yeah i, I mean i think you know, I, I think it is you know certainly in our community 's best interest um, still to continue to reduce transmission i don 't think any of us wants to be the person responsible for transmitting covid um, to somebody who has a bad outcome with covid and you know to the tune of almost a million American deaths. That is exactly what has happened. Everybody has gotten COVID in this country from somebody else. Um, You know, some significant fraction of those transmissions have resulted from failures to do what needs to be done to prevent transmission. And some are just inevitable as they are with any pandemic.
0: So and what about folks who have the symptoms, but persistently test negative?
2: Well, then you probably have something else.
0: Really? Even if you're testing over and over again and you've been exposed to other people. I have family
2: members who have been, who serially test. It's like the pregnancy test. I'm going to test and I'm going to test again in 10 minutes because I didn't like the answer kind of
0: thing. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Uh, Like pregnancy test. Interesting.
2: Well, as a provider, I'll see people who come in like, I tested positive for pregnancy. I'm like, how many times? Six. I'm like, well, then you probably (laughs) are pregnant.
0: Right. Oh, I thought it would would be the other way. I was imagining a whole um, not novel here yeah, but yeah. um like okay so so
2: if you test repeatedly on a on a home antigen test and it's negative, negative you know it, it, operator error is certainly like a <laughs> to make um, sure you're putting yeah.
0: it in your nose.
2: Um, but if you're repeatedly negative and you're symptomatic, then it's probably not COVID. And I can say that with a fairly high degree All of certainty. Right. Um, because if you're symptomatic, you know, the biology of that would suggest you're shedding virus at that point. Um, and if you're shedding virus, then these antigen tests are pretty good at picking it up, even if you sort of do a suboptimal swab. Um, and so, you know, serial negative tests in the in the setting of being symptomatic that's that's a different virus
0: how cheeky of that virus to come around when we've got covid happening <laughs> i mean don't they know we're busy yeah well, well yeah. but is, is it possible to get covid while you're sick with some other oh, marauding sure. virus Yeah, you can
2: get as many illnesses as you want at all the at same time yeah, yeah. that just is not fair no
0: all right uh, anything else about where we are right now with ba2 and the rising numbers in the county
2: no, not really. I mean, the rising numbers in the county were up, you know, some 250% in 2 weeks. California as a whole is up about 45%. The nation as a whole is up about 65% over 2 weeks. So the numbers are climbing um and hospitalizations are not yet. Um nationwide deaths are still dropping. Um we're down to about 400 and you know some a day from COVID nationwide. Um, and, you know, we're going to see those indicators trend upward over the course of the next two weeks, even with our 66% nationwide vaccination rate, which does not include still rather low um, boosting rates. So get boosted. If you're not boosted, if you're over 50, get the booster. And, and get that's... your double booster.
0: Right. Everybody over 50. Yeah. Anybody under 50 should get boosted?
2: M- immune compromise in some way, yeah.
0: Okay. All right, well, you want to open the phone lines? Let's do it. All right, it's the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax. The number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. That's 895-2448, and we'll have the phone lines open until
3: 10.
2: It's a lot of radio time between here and there.
0: (laughs) The phone lines are quiet. Well,
2: you know, as we're waiting for calls to come in, and I'm sure they will, um, you know, it's really a question of trying to assess risk, right? That's what we're all trying to do at this point is what are our risks individually and collectively and communally. Um, and so, you know, as, as we're thinking about risk assessment, um, it really becomes a question of what are my personal comforts with risk? Um, and what is my risk of getting a severe form of COVID? And there are a lot of ways to think about COVID. I mean, it's not just mortality, it can also be uh, your fear or your concern about getting, you know, whatever long COVID might ultimately prove to be or you might be more concerned about getting hit with a $340,000 medical bill. And um, You know, when you emerge from a severe case of COVID, you know, largely unscathed, and, you know, that's not a trivial expense to be sure, because while the vaccines are covered by the government, ventilators in an ICU are certainly not. Um, And so, you know, there are a lot of different ways to think about risks. The risks still from COVID are quite significant. Um, they are still much higher than your average flu or influenza season peak risks. Um, they are certainly much higher than a lot of other activities that we engage in. Um, you know, there's actually, there's been some attention given to helping people quantify these risks uh, recently. And, you know, the average, for example, a high-risk activity such as um being a, being an IV heroin user, right? That's has a very high mortality. It has about a three percent annual mortality, um, and that risk um, is about equivalent to the risk incurred by a sixty-five year old person if or she were to contract COVID if they're unvaccinated. So, you know, with this level of COVID around, if you're 65 and unvaccinated, the risk that you're taking right now is more or less equivalent to being an IV drug user um, in terms of overall risk of mortality over the course of the next year.
0: What an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. All right. Well, we do have the phones ringing off the hook now. People noticed that the phone lines are open. So let's go ahead and take our first call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air.
3: Yeah, um, two things. Um, first of all, I missed uh, the beginning of this show, and I'm just tuning in, so I'm, you may have already covered this. But I'm wondering about Uki Fairgrounds, if they're still doing testing and booster shots, because I'm interested in getting a third booster. I'm 65, um, and I'm going to be traveling soon. Um, so that's one question. The other question is regarding the third booster. Is there... Um, kind of a uh, prime efficacy time for that? Like, you know, if you get the shot, is it the, protects you the most, in the, you know, within the first four weeks? Or I don't know, maybe the doctor could, could um, answer that question
1: yeah, so as far as Yeah, so first off, sure. So,
2: fir- so your first question about the Ukiah Fairgrounds, to my knowledge, yes, they are still offering testing there. Um, I think it's five or six days a week, as I recollect. Um I'm not certain that they are offering boosters at the Ukiah Fairground venue. Um, but there are a lot of venues around the county where you can get boosted. Um, you can go and I almost it's a sort of a long list, um, but you can go to the mendocino website and uh click on their COVID link and it lays it all out, um, uh, wide where you can get boosted it's it's pretty widely available um, but the t- fairgrounds is still offering the free testing which is a lot cheaper than coming to the er to get tested which is you know what we see at 3 a.m on a regular basis um so get tested uh, if you're worried or if you're going to be you know exposing others to um sort of a prolonged indoor event um and then get boosted that can be done pretty readily even by just calling one of the local health centers around the county um they are offering they usually have set aside an hour or two um, a week to sort of uh, bundle of the COVID vaccine administration, um, and they can tell you when and where to come in for that. But you do need a call for that. Okay. And then your second question, um, as t- in terms of timing, um, it's it's hard to give sort of general recommendations. We know that the booster um, does um, offer a significant boost in immunity um, that lasts, you know not as long as we would like probably somewhere on the order of Six to ten weeks is a pretty significant boost in immunity, and then it can it starts to drop more significantly after that so it's a short term very strong increase in protection followed by a more modest increase in protection that probably stretches six to eight or even ten months but the tail on that um, gets you know fairly flat way out towards the ten month end of the uh, end of the period so so if you're going okay. to, if you're really thinking about this critically and trying to sort of time your maximum immunity, for example, if you're going to go to some big event, say a wedding or travel, then get boosted, um, you know, two, yeah, to four, two to four weeks before that event. Um, and you'll be maximally protected while you're doing something that's important, but perhaps a bit more risky than your typical day-to-day life.
3: Great. I appreciate that. Thank, thank you so much. Thanks for the show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: And it looks like they are doing boosters at the Ukiah Fairgrounds. Oh um, okay. 12, 12 noon to six p.m. Ongoing Fridays. Of course, all this stuff does change. So yeah, do I, check I the... would call
2: or double check the website before driving anywhere for anything on this. Good
0: call. All right. Uh, there's another call. Let's go ahead and take that. Oops, missed him. Call back caller seven o seven. 895 Good morning. You're live on the air.
4: Good morning. Um, I just had a quick question. Um, so I remember that they changed who gets like the monoclonal antibody treatment, like when they're, when you first test positive and when you're first like symptomatic um, for people who are like high risk, is that still recommended and is that available like at all the hospitals in the County or like just Ukiah or do we have to travel to like Santa Rosa if we got sick? and I'll
2: take my answer off the air. Yeah, so that's a really good question, and a lot of the monoclonals that we were administering, um, unfortunately, proved to be not effective against Omicron or against BA2, so back in November and December, we had a fairly limited supply of monoclonals, um, and back then, we were having a fairly high hospitalization burden, um, and so we were a fairly high case rate. So we were using up our limited supply pretty much as quickly as we got it um, with fairly strict use um, criteria. Now, in the setting of Omicron and BA2, which is all we have, um, there is a monoclonal that needs to be administered um, after the onset of symptoms. And generally, it's thought to be best if you start within three days, but that can be pushed out to five. The last I checked, we did not have any in this county. Um, and while that sounds bad, um, the the option, the next option, is the Paxlovid uh, antiviral pill, which you also take um, post exposure, um, post symptoms, and that um, probably has higher efficacy um, than the monoclonal antibody infusion. Um, and so that is readily available and is a is frankly a better option. That's what I would reach for, and that's what I would recommend um, if somebody were to become symptomatic with COVID and had some degree of risk factors, or even very mild risk factors. Um, because the safety profile in Paxlovid, from what we can tell, is quite high, with the exception of being with the exception being it does have a fairly large number of drug drug interactions. Um, and so your provider has to be pretty careful about thinking about what drugs you may be on, and as to whether this is a good choice.
0: Is Paxlovid the one that Pfizer? Oh produced? yes. Oh, How yes. does it work?
2: <laughs> wow. Since
0: I mean, you know stuff like this.
2: Yeah. So it 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 disrupts the virus's capacity to reproduce, basically. Um, and so it 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 it. it deranges on uh, the viral replication cycle. And so it's not strain or variant specific. Um, so as we get new variants or new strains, Paxlivid um, is expected to work just as well. Um, Molnupiravir, which is another one of the antiviral pills, um, actually injects um, RNA into the RNA, into the virus's genome um, causes fatal corruptions to its genome, and then the virus dies. That is also not variant specific. People get a little bit freaked out when you talk about uh, gene editing, which is basically what Molnupirvir is. Um, it's so. a
0: pill that does gene editing. Yeah. Does it target just the a- virus?
2: mRNA. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Whoa. Yeah. Okay, so these aren't these are substances that target that specific virus itself. Yes, they go after yes. it. No,
2: I mean Paxlovid uh, and even Molnupirvir may have efficacy against other viruses. I don't think that's been huh. published yet. I haven't seen that. All right, well we have. And, and while we're call. talking about you know monoclonals and sort of therapy yeah. options, um, there is also, and this hasn't really I've mentioned it sort of sporadically, uh, probably every other show, but there is a. Um, a prophylactic monoclonal um, um which is a monoclonal antibody that you administer um, prior to any exposure to COVID, um, and it offers about six months of protection. Now, not everybody should get this. Um, it's an injection. It's an intramuscular injection. But if you are um, immune suppressed in some significant way, if you're on chemotherapy or if you have a solid organ transplant, then you probably should um, get an Evershield injection every six months uh, while our numbers are even moderately high as they are right now. And where did
0: – is it Evershield?
2: Evel shield, E V U L S H E. D, I guess, Evelshell Evelshed. Uh, I don't know. I'm an ER what? doctor. I don't ever use it in the ER. That's um, like
0: Uncanny Valley close to like some yeah, Tolkien well, yeah, character. Yeah. Evershield.
2: Evell Sheld. yep. It's a uh, AstraZeneca. Um Monoclonal. Quite quite effective. Um wow. and you know, a very good option. Um and you know, the oncologist, our one oncologist, our practicing oncologist in this county, um uses it quite a bit for his immune-suppressed patient. And if you have a solid organ transplant, then you probably have a doctor out of this county uh, managing those medications. Um and that would definitely be a conversation that I would I would have with your provider.
0: How is that different than a vaccine?
2: Because it's a antibody. So it's an actual preformed antibody that neutralizes the virus when it enters your system, rather than trying to get your immune system to create antibodies to neutralize the virus. And if your immune system is suppressed in some way by medications or, or, or otherwise, then the vaccines just don't work as well.
0: All right. I'm amazed at how many different ways of attack they've come up with over the course of the last two, two years. years Well, it has been two
2: years but yes it's it's been fast right
0: all right let's take our next call good morning caller
1: you are live on the air hi
2: let me get the radio here we um,
1: appreciate that um uh my question is basically uh are we still counting shots or or is it just a matter of time uh at this point Uh you know, like every six months or something, for as long as it goes on? or uh, and, Yeah,
2: that's it. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I'm i not sure what you mean by counting shots. I, I, I think what we're going to see, you know, right now where some people are oh, up to what their... What I mean
1: by counting, is there a particular number that you have to be approved for or something or that the government has approved or...
2: Yeah, so in in that case, yes. So the answer is the government has approved boosters and second boosters uh, for anybody over the age of – second boosters for anybody over the age of 50. Uh, First boosters for anybody – I think it's all the way down to 16 now. Um, And I anticipate that the second booster authorization will come down the pike in the next couple of months. There's almost certainly going to be a fall booster for this as well. And going forward, I anticipate as the vaccines become a bit more tailored and a bit more um, durable in their action, that we're going to have a fall COVID booster option for everybody just as we have an influenza vaccine uh, for everybody each you know start of the of the flu season. COVID unfortunately has shown us to be a year-round phenomena uh, whether we need you know a a twice annual booster for a high-risk population or just an annual booster for the whole population. I don't think any of us knows yet. I certainly can't predict how that's going to shake out, but I think it's almost certain that we're going to end up with something along those lines.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so we're up to four. Four is available for people of a certain age at this point. Correct. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yeah. So, if you're over and, fifty,
2: and- you can get you. You're qualified for your. Yeah, you know, I'm setting aside the J and J booster because the J and J vaccine, because that's sort of a minority. Um, but it, you you obviously had the option of getting. Uh, shots one and two sometime a year over a year ago um and then the booster started coming out in august and september of this past year and then the second booster became more widely authorized uh february um just january february march of this year so you know if you've been an early adopter of the vaccine yeah yeah
1: I think we got the third shot last fall sometime and we're old enough to qualify.
2: So. Yeah. So you, you would qualify now for a second booster at this point.
1: Yeah. Because I know people, middle-aged people who have been, have three shots and still come down with the.
2: Oh yes. Illness, no, it's, illness. I, I mean, I, as a provider, I have, you know, unfortunately seen fully vaccinated people get very significantly sick. You know, it tends to be the unvaccinated or the partially vaccinated that you know are the majority of the sick patients, both locally and nationwide. But, you know, it's not quite as simple as that um, in reality. So if if you want to avoid covid, this is a record I've been spending for a long time. The best way to do it is to get vaccinated.
1: Yeah, well, we never gave up the masks either, although we're getting to be a minority at this point. At this point,
2: yeah, well, travel to yeah. Alabama and you'll definitely be in a minority wearing a mask.
1: <laughs> Not this season,
2: thank yeah. you. All right, all
0: okay. right, thank you for the right. call and stay safe. We have another caller. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. I heard you. <laughs> Maybe it was a dream. The person thought better of it. So. All right. Uh, this is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. We are still at it, over two years into the pandemic.
2: Yeah, this must be show 150 something. I, don't know.
0: I mean, yeah. we're also, this show is also one of our podcasts. You can find it on kzyx.org. If you miss the live show, you can go or back. Or you can just
2: re listen to the highlights
0: and yeah. listen to it. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. You put it on times two speed oh, and, yeah. and listen to it quickly. <laughs> Um, This is the show that launched KZYX's podcast, so that's kind of cool. It's been an amazing two years. Let's go ahead and take our next call. That's an understatement. (laughs) Hello, caller. You are live on the air.
4: Yay. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Oh, good. Um, How long should someone wait? uh, If they got the virus, you know, they had been vaccinated, blah, blah, blah. How long should they wait from either onset of symptoms or um, a positive test till they go get the second booster?
2: Yeah, and that, I mean, in general, um, we had been talking originally um, a year ago, year and a half ago, of waiting 60 or even 90 days. That time frame has shortened considerably. Most providers are happy to give the vaccine um, in as little as two weeks um, after your resolution of symptoms. And some are even willing to do it um, even more proximately than that. So I, I think two weeks is entirely reasonable from resolution of your symptoms or a negative test, if you really don't okay. have very many. Um, and that's, that's, that's a reasonable sort of spacing. And then you're going to have this very robust um, hybrid immunity, right? So, oh, fun. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> okay, thanks so much. Sure.
0: All right. I know that's a question a lot of people have. Thanks for calling. Um, we have an email. Do you want to hear it? Sure. Hi, I have some questions. For an outside community event, what would be Dr. Colfax's recommendations for minimizing one's exposure if one is wearing an N95 mask and also if one isn't wearing any mask? Distance recommendations, time of contact, shaking hands, et cetera. And then if one is going to travel at the end of the summer... Or early fall, should a healthy person in their early sixties wait to get the second booster, the aforementioned four weeks beforehand to maximize effectiveness, or get it now and be more protected before the trip and potentially less protected during the trip? <laughs> this is why this show has lasted for two years.
2: Yes. Well, there's a lot of lot of variables that exactly. we're all trying to assimilate, exactly right? And right. so, again, this and every individual situation. Yeah. So you know, the outdoor event um, is it's hard to sort of give firm guidelines on that now it's outdoors um and it's kind of windy in this county recently so that that's pretty good now if you happen to be on one of these dead calm days then i would be a bit more nervous and space out a bit more um wear a mask a bit more um religiously um at that event but if it's outside and there's a breeze that's pretty safe um if you want to reduce your risks of um illness then wear a mask particularly if it gets more crowded or if you are within arm's reach of several people um also you kind of need to do this gut check um you know of who the crowd is right is this a crowd that seems to be covid conscious is this a crowd that is vaccinated is this a crowd that would not show up if they are mildly symptomatic or potentially symptomatic and that's a very Difficult, you know, variable to assess, um, but I think we all can sort of take that pulse um, at some subconscious level and modulate our behavior accordingly. As for your second question about travel, um, the timeline on that—I um, think you said you wanted to go on a trip in the summer, early fall. So that's what six months away from now, five months away. You know, your booster um, now won't be offering too much immunity then, uh, unfortunately. I would recommend just getting boosted now uh, because travel plans have proven to be very variable over the course of the last two years as have uh, vaccine recommendations. And so get boosted now when you and if you continue to make these travel plans with a late summer, early fall trip, it is quite likely that you'll have an opportunity to get reboosted um, to top off your immune system before you know a relatively high-risk activity that may or not involve flying in an airplane somewhere with everybody being unmasked and shouting COVID when they sneeze.
0: All right. Thank you for the email. Yep, 895 um, 2448 is the number here in the studio. Let's take our next call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air.
1: Yes. Uh, my question is, why in the world would you take a booster soon after coming down with COVID? Because you're getting, uh, you certainly, your immune system is certainly uh, getting the same, uh, or maybe a better uh, uh, response than you get from the booster. Why wouldn't you just uh, figure that the getting COVID is as good, or or uh, better than than uh, than getting another booster? I don't. I'm confused
2: yeah so that that 's a good question that's that 's certainly a source of confusion for a lot of people um and what we know um, talking about the vaccines or the boosters in general is that they provoke or they um, incite a slightly different immune response. Um, to COVID, to future exposures of COVID, um, than the natural immunity um, induced by a COVID illness. And we also know, and the data on this is quite robust, that the hybrid immunity, so the immunity that is um, bestowed upon one with a vaccine um, as well as a COVID illness, is quite a bit more robust than the immunity that is either induced by just the vaccine or the natural immunity of the COVID illness. And so by getting boosted after a COVID illness, you are essentially um, making your immune response more com- more complete and um, of longer duration uh, than you would expect to see from just the the immunity induced by the COVID illness. So it, it, it acts, as the name would suggest, as a booster to your immune system, um, to your immune response. Now, you're right. If you just had COVID, uh, your risk of getting severe or symptomatic COVID um, over the course of the following month after recovering from a COVID illness is reduced But it's not reduced uh, to zero. Um, And believe it or not, I've seen more than a few people who have come back and actually been hospitalized with a second COVID illness after having recovered with a a previous COVID illness. Um, that, That happens. And so if you want to avoid that happening, the best way to do that is to get boosted. Now, I know some of us are not going to do that uh, for intangible reasons, but that is still kind of where the science is headed on this, which is why I would recommend, you know, that course of action.
0: Okay. Thank okay. you. Yep. Bye. All right. Thanks for the call. Um, yeah, the intangibles are what public health grapples with, right? The reasons people aren't taking these actions to, to do these interventions for themselves. There's a whole lot of reasons why we don't do that and that's where public health tries to work to over, uh, overcome that and bridge the gap so these sort of new and as you say confusing um, yes do this then now no, don't do that is kind of one of the things that contributes to us kind of rationalizing well I don't know maybe i don't know
2: yeah it it's it 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 allows um you know the lack of clarity of the science on this and there you know there it has not been a linear process to be sure um really allows for a lot of cognitive (laughs) dissonance um it allows for a lot of you know charlatans and grifters to exploit um that confusion right science is messy um it really just is um this is not you know this is not mendel's peas where you you know breed green peas and yellow peas and one quarter are yellow and one quarter are green sort of thing. This is much, much more complex than that. And then when you factor in social behavior and then you factor in you know, active misinformation – It just becomes extremely complicated. And then if we start talking about the CDC, you know, walking back, you know, masking guidelines or vaccine or modifying the vaccine schedule, um, rolling out a medication only to discover that it's not quite as effective against the new subvariant. It just allows for an enormous amount of cognitive dissonance. and in general, um, what I've tried to do is stay between the, you know, the, the shoulder lines on this COVID road, um, because it's pretty easy to get off into the shrubberies.
0: Let's try to stay out of the shrubberies. Yes. I also had some feedback. I think it's appropriate feedback about my use of the word schizophrenic to describe this oscillation that we're in, um, and reminding me kindly that schizophrenia is a terrible disease and it's not really a metaphor for, you know, switching back and forth, this idea that it's multiple personalities and all of that. So I thank you for that feedback and I apologize yes. for the use of that yes. of the word the way that I used a, it.
2: A, a new onset schizophrenic episode in the ER is one of the most depressing diagnoses to make because uh-huh. they're usually quite young and it is a lifelong debilitating disease.
0: So we need to do some more radio on on that stuff as well.
2: You're just angling for another another show, aren't you, Alicia? Well, there's yeah.
0: so many yeah. topics yeah. that um, are... We've learned so much about uh, public health and health in general from this pandemic. There's just so many topics that are urgent. Top of mind, of course, is the overdose epidemic we're experiencing, which is taking... Mm-hmm many, many lives through the pandemic, as well as COVID. Um, The phones are now ringing again off the hook at 707-895-2448. We're going to take our next call. And we're here with you until 10 o'clock. So we'll try to get to as many of you as possible. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Good morning.
3: Um, I'm 70. I'm ready for my second booster. I first got Johnson & Johnson. And then I got the Moderna half dose booster. So I'm just wondering if there's any recommendation for what I should
1: get next.
2: Uh No, is the short answer. Um I, I think wherever you've been uh, vaccinated is going to be inclined to give you the Moderna again. That tends to be what most vaccine centers uh, favor. That's the CDC's uh, recommendation, but they do authorize the mix and match approach. Um you you've got the J&J initially, which is fine. The Moderna seems to work a little bit better, particularly against the Omicron with slightly more durable immunity, which is great. Um, and then for your booster, you know, another half dose of the Moderna versus the half dose of the Pfizer. There, that's just a toss up. There's really no good data to suggest one should be better than the other.
3: Okay, great. That's my question. Thank you very much. And sure. Thank you for the show. Of course. All right.
2: Thanks All right. Thanks Bye the,
0: bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for the call you want to take that email?
2: Sure. Email question. How long should one wait after the third booster before getting the fourth booster? Over 65, but we wear masks out always. So, yeah, the recommendation is about five months. Uh, four to five months is kind of what we would suggest. So if you're 65, you became qualified for the... A third booster probably in September, as I recollect. Um, So if you're an early adopter of that booster, you are certainly within the um, time frame for getting your second booster at this point. And I think it would be a good idea to do so, particularly with the numbers likely going to increase over the course of the next four to eight weeks, despite your very reasonably wearing mask outdoor always.
0: All right, let's take our next call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air.
1: Good morning. I'm calling to find out the best way to get uh, signed up for a test, a COVID test. Um, I've taken a couple of home tests, but never gotten one that's, you know, in from a clinic or whatever. Could you direct me to a website or where I could
2: get started? where, Where are you physically located?
1: I'm in the Willits
2: area. So I think at Willits, so the Ukiah Fairgrounds, which is a bit of a drive up over the hill for you, um, offers the testing still. And then in Willits, um, there is testing um, that's available at the Senior Center, I believe, Um And that's, I think, Tuesday, Thursdays, and Fridays. Looking at the website, Um, and then there's a mobile OptumServe, which I'm not sure if they're still um, mobile, if you will. Yeah,
0: I'm not sure about that either. Um,
2: That, at least according to the county website, is on Wednesdays. So I would, I would call um, either the senior center or the Bechtel Creek Clinic up there because they offer. They also offer um, testing out of their clinic. Um, That's where you can go to get a good uh, COVID test.
1: Is the Ukiah Fairgrounds a drop-in daily?
2: Yes, Uh, not every day. Um, It is, let me scroll back here, Saturday through Thursdays, 9 to 5. All right, thank you very much. Okay. All right. Have a good day. Thank you, too.
0: And I love that experience we're having with free, accessible healthcare that's open <laughs> to all when you need
2: it. Uh, that won't last.
0: Let's do that. Yeah. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Whoa. Try calling back, caller 707 895 2448. 707 895 2448. This is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. We're here every first and third Tuesday from nine to ten, but not for long.
2: I think. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what do we decide? I we might take a break. Right? Yeah,
0: but we'll be here the next Tuesday, May,
2: the first Tuesday in May, right?
0: Which is our—it's also going to be our first loud drive week of the loud on-air fundraising drive for our building fund. So are we still
2: on the quiet drive?
0: We are. Oh, how's yeah. That, how's that going? It's going really well. Okay. Actually, people are very excited about this new studio, which. Yeah. We should be because it's a really big move for KZyx. Yes, it is. Finally moving to Ukiah. Yeah. But we'll talk about that more later. But um, there's a whole lot of information about it on our website, kzyx.org. Let's take our next call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the
4: air. Hi. I was just calling to find out about two weeks ago. I'm not too sure what the doctor was saying about a virus causing uh, problems with the epithelial cells. If he could um explain what he meant by that and um, from what virus he was uh, expressing that the epithelial cells were affected and what type of affection that happens to the epithelial cells, um, I would very much appreciate that
2: sure. I'm trying to recollect the context of my discussion of epithelial cells, and I I, to be honest, can't do that off the top of my head, but I suspect that I was talking about how the COVID virus, so I'm sure I was talking about COVID because that is the virus of the moment, um, how the COVID virus enters the body. And it does so by entering the body by attaching to the epithelial cells. And those spiky proteins that give the coronavirus its name are in part designed to allow attachment to these epithelial cells. And as as everybody or as many of us may recall, remember from junior high biology, the epithelial cells are sort of the squishy Flattened-looking cells that line um, many of our organs, including particularly the interior passages of our sinuses and our posterior oral pharynx, um, and that's where the virus takes hold. You know, there's been talk about there being ACE receptors on the on the on the eyeball, so you could get COVID through your eye, and that's why some some people are wearing glasses for a while. I don't think there's been a lot of eye-to-eye transmission of COVID, frankly, Um, kind of like a COVID laser beam, if you will. But um, that's, I think, what I was talking about in terms of the epithelial cells. They're not... um, distinct or unique in any way in terms of their susceptibility to um, destruction from COVID. Um, They're just the avenue of entry of this upper respiratory or what initially starts as an upper respiratory illness and then becomes more systemic.
4: Uh, You did mention though that there was uh, people getting um, affected by the epithelial cells. I'm wondering if you could go back to last a couple of weeks ago and listen to what you said on the radio, because I've been having a discrepancy with conversations with people about that.
2: I, I can go back and review the last show on our podcast. podcast. Yeah.
0: Yep, we can go back and listen to that and try to figure out what you said, Drew.
2: I... I don't know,
0: <laughs> but this idea of COVID ray vision is kind of scaring me. What? Yeah. What right. if we had a new variant that decided just it could be spread it out by, of your
2: eye into somebody else's eye by
0: like yeah. peering at people yeah. or scowling yeah, right. at people?
2: Yeah, I, I'm not sure where the where the concern or the confusion of that caller um, originates. I, I I don't remember there being any discussion, at least not an intentional discussion on my part, about epithelial cells somehow being special or unique, other than that's how COVID enters the body in the vast majority of cases.
0: It's um, it's like the, the, the sort of mucus membrane lining? Yeah, you know,
2: if you will. And, you know, while we're talking about the entry of the body, the exit of the body of COVID is also a tracking metric that shows increased numbers significantly. Um, so it's, you know, that's sewage monitoring that we have.
0: Oh, I see. You know. I did not know what you were talking yeah. about, but yeah. now you mean like they're detecting it in our... Sewage wastewater. Yes. We don't
2: have it in our county, but it, there are, you know, sewage sort of sentry stations um, throughout the country, um, several hundred actually that track COVID loads, um, and they actually act as a very good marker of when the when the next surge is coming. Wow! Yeah.
0: So we not only breathe it out, but we poo it out. Yep. All right, let's take our next call. Good morning, Callie. You're live on the air.
3: Hi. Um, this
0: Hi, Hi I'm um, that radio off.
3: a 72-year-old. Yeah, I did. Okay. Can you hear me? Yep. Um, okay, I'm I'm 72, and I um, had my vaccine, and I was boosted in the fall, and then I got COVID in January. Um, and, you know, I keep listening to how the the immunity wanes over time, and, and I'm just curious of how – how much does it wane? Am I like right now? I'm sure that protection has waned. Am I how close am I to someone who's unvaccinated at this point?
2: You're not. You're not close at all. Um, so you've been vaccinated, uh-huh. you've been boosted, and then you had the illness. So you have you have quadruple um, opportunities for your body to develop sort of a maximally robust immune response. Um, now, it's it's hard to make individual predictions, but the risk, the likelihood of your becoming uh, significantly ill from a new um, infection from COVID, um, regardless of your reboosting, is quite low for the months going forward. I would still recommend you're topping off your 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 immune response uh, with a booster. You know, it doesn't have to happen this week or this month since you had COVID in um, January, uh, to circle back to an earlier caller's um, concerns about um, getting boosted after a COVID illness, but it wouldn't hurt. Um, and with the oncoming surge, getting the Second booster, which for which you are now qualified, um, would certainly be my personal recommendation um, to minimize yeah. a second COVID illness for you, um, despite your having done everything right. Now, I will say, you know, the fact that you're 72 um, and it sounds as though you came through your COVID illness with flying colors. I'm not sure what sort of experience you had. Yes. But yeah, I, I think I, yeah. I think we can attribute that very good outcome in large part to your being vaccinated and boosted. Um, you know, the unvaccinated and unboosted uh, mortality, um, even with Omicron, even two years in uh, the mortality for somebody at your age group um, is somewhere around four to five um, it's, percent. It's not trivial uh, to be sure, um, maybe a little bit less, depending on, you know, your sort of risk factors. But all comers, it's a serious element. Um, it's it's up there with you know double bacterial pneumonia kind of thing.
3: Okay, so my my concern was I am I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to get my booster, but I'm going to be traveling in the fall, <laughs> and I was just curious that suppose there wasn't another booster available for me in the fall, I would still have the protection of a vaccinated person. I just wouldn't be as robust as it would have been if I could have had a.
2: If you so I, to to extrapolate a little bit, you're asking whether you should get boosted now or sort of push off your second booster until closer to your trip in the fall. No, I,
3: I I heard your answer to that and yeah. I agreed with it. But then I just had this. I said, well, suppose it's not available in the fall. How is my immunity then? It's going I'm still better off than. An
2: unvaccinated person, but it's just not it's as robust. Co- correct, and think. and and putting a precise number on that can be a little bit difficult. Um, but yeah. we know, you know, the curve. Unfortunately, particularly with these new variants, is the sort of the curve of protection is dropping faster than we saw initially. Um, and so initially, it looked like these the one-two punch of Moderna um, and. And the Pfizer vaccine offered about eight to nine months, a very robust, you know, protection up in the 70, 80, 85, 90 percent range. We know now that that drops off quite a bit more quickly. Um, and so you're probably, you know, if you're looking at a fall trip after a natural immunity boost of, of a COVID illness this January in the setting of being double Uh, vaccinated and then boosted um, previous to your illness in January, your protection is going to have dropped probably 70 to 75 percent by the fall. Um, It won't be quite that low if you get boosted now. I frankly would um, recommend getting boosted now with your second booster and you know, work on the presumption that a third booster will be available in the fall that's probably going to be tailored to meet um, and be a bit more effective um, against the BA 2.2 or whatever strain we're dealing with at that point. Okay. Okay.
3: Okay. So my, my immunity is never going to fall below what a vaccinated person would have, though
2: is that right your immunity is yeah. never going to fall below what an unvaccinated person has that that's correct um you know oh, okay. t- with all yeah. co- taking all comers um so you know you are you have you have been exposed quite a bit at this point to either natural or induced immunity your immunity is quite okay. good but it will become a bit more attenuated over time um and how that plays out in terms of your absolute risks. It, it it's really hard to predict um but you're 73 yeah, yeah. um and you're traveling and you're going to be exposed so you know be you know be cautious during that trip uh okay. whether you're boosted or not all
3: right okay okay thank you so much i appreciate it yeah. And by the way i'm 72
2: not 73 oh i'm sorry Goodness gracious i noticed gracious.
3: that too what does he do <laughs> <laughs>
2: well i was talking about when you're traveling i'm i'm pretty sure you're going to be 73 then right
3: Yes, I will. Yeah.
2: Actually.
3: yeah. Okay. All Thanks right. Very much.
0: Thanks for the call. All right. That's going to do it for us. we just got about two minutes left, so I think we're going to call it rather than go right up to the absolute tippy-top last second yeah, and get cut sometimes off.
2: Sometimes that ends oddly.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. So we're going to just recap a little bit, if you would, and then um, maybe we can, I don't know, talk about what's coming next for the show or
2: something. Yeah, well, I, we don't really
0: know what's we don't coming know. next. We'll it be here in two weeks. It depends on what COVID does Yeah, us. we'll be yeah. here in
2: two weeks. Then maybe we just... Take a little break.
0: I think that would be all right, right for everybody. I think I think
2: everybody will be okay without a local coronavirus update for a while, and maybe it'll just it'll be like a miracle; it'll just fade away.
0: Yeah, well, if we stop thinking about it, it'll go away. That yeah. always works.
2: It does. Yes, I, I mean, know that's that probably why ostriches do so well.
0: <laughs> you could probably use a break yeah. after two
3: years. Uh,
2: I think the I think the listeners could use a break from me.
0: This has been the Local Coronavirus Update Podcast with Dr. Drew Colfax, produced by Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg, California. You can also hear us live on the web 24 hours a day at www.kzyx.org. If you'd like to listen live and call in to the local coronavirus update, you can find us in our new time every second and fourth Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Our live studio call-in number is 707-895-2448. You can also email your questions anytime at dj at kzyx.org. And you can always catch us right here as a podcast, KZYX Local Coronavirus Update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Our theme music is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams, and our outro music is a song called Stump Town, composed and performed by Zach Borden. I'm Alicia Bales. We'll see you next time.